I begin to uh, pray and share my heart with you uh, last week in this church series about why we exist, who we are as a church, and where we need to be, what we need to be doing. I realize quickly that uh, there needs to be more preached and taught than I will uh, ever have the time or ability to address. Uh, however, as I've shared with you and again this morning, it's my conviction that we are at a place in time and history where it's essential that we as a local church take a fresh look at God's Word concerning His church and our place as members of the body of Christ. Last Sunday morning, we read numerous passages, but read first from 1 Corinthians 10.31, where Paul makes it clear, even in the context of Christian liberties, that we exist to glorify God. We, We glorify Him. That's why we are here. And to glorify Him means that we are occupied with and committed to God's ways rather than being preoccupied and determined to accomplish our own ways, whether as individuals or as the corporate body of Christ. To glorify Him means that we magnify Him, that we elevate the Lord. As John the Baptist said, He increases, but we decrease. Less of us, more of Him. And then I specifically asked you last Sunday to join with me in prayer and to pray this past week, 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12. And I hope you have prayed that this week. And that specific part of that prayer, Paul prayed for the Thessalonians that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. And I ask you as a church family to pray that Christ would be glorified in us and that we in turn be in Him. We prayed that prayer together in our men's prayer meeting on Wednesday evening. And I want to encourage you to continue to pray that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in us and us in Him. I also mentioned last Sunday that if Wesley Lord Baptist Church is going to glorify God, we must address church membership. So this morning I want to begin looking at what the Bible says about belonging to a local assembly of believers. And I'm going to read two verses, uh, one out of Matthew 16 and the other out of Matthew 18, just as our home text. Now, we're preaching through Matthew's gospel. We just finished up Matthew 13, so when we come back to Matthew's gospel, we will come back to these verses and deal more in detail with them. But these are the two places that our Lord mentions the church. In Matthew 16 and 18, these are the two places when the word church is actually used by Jesus Christ. He mentions the church here in these two passages. But again, I will deal more with the doctrine of the church when we come back and go through these passages uh, in the months ahead. But for our purposes this morning and at this time in our church, I want us to focus on our commitment to and covenant with the Lord 
as it relates to our being united to Him and then our being united to Him and to each other in the body of Christ. And that's what we want to look at this morning. But let's go to Matthew 16 and verse number 18. And then we'll go to Matthew 18, verse number 17. This is, of course, Peter's great confession at Caesarea Philippi and his response to our Lord's questions about our Lord's question about who men say Jesus is. But our Lord mentions the church in verse 18. Within this context, he says in Matthew 16, 18, he's speaking to Peter, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. So here the Lord makes it clear that the church is His. It belongs to Him. I will build my church. And then He gives a promise, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In Matthew 18 and verse number 17, in the context of church discipline, that is to be exercised by the church that we will talk about when we and preach about when we get to Matthew 18. In Matthew 18 and verse number 17, Jesus uses the word church twice here in this verse. Again, this is the first and second occasion when our Lord uses the word church. As far as I know, the only two times that the, these words are used by our Lord he says, and if he's talking about church discipline, where you take, uh, you you approach a brother, and then if he don't hear you, you take two with you, or, or more with you, and then bring it. And if he rejects it, he says in verse seventeen, and if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man, and a publican. Again, my purpose this morning is not to expound these verses but to remind you or to show you or refresh your memory as to how Jesus uses the word as He's talking to Peter about the foundation of the church. And then He speaks about here in this context about discipline within the church. We're talking this morning about a, the biblical reality, the biblical definition of church. And then from there we move into the subject of our being a part of the church, our being a part of a local assembly. There is a universal church consisting of all believers. I'll mention that later. But then there's the local church, which we are this morning, the local body of Christ. So the first mention of the word church in the New Testament came from the lips of our Lord that I read in these two verses in Matthew 16, 18 and Matthew 18, 17. From this point, church will not be mentioned again. The word will not be until we get to the writings of Luke and the apostles. And in the New Testament, outside of Jesus' mentioning of the word church, the word church is mentioned some 70, over 70 times in the writings of the apostles. The word church or churches is mentioned in the book of Acts. It's mentioned in Romans. It is mentioned in both letters to Corinth. It is mentioned in Galatian letter. 
to Ephesians, Philippians. It's mentioned in Paul's letter to the Colossian believers. He's mentioned it. He mentions the word church or uses the word church in both his letters to the Thessalonican church. It's mentioned in the first pastoral epistle of 1 Timothy, mentioned in Philemon, Paul's very personal letter concerning the runaway slave and how to handle that. And then the Hebrew writer mentions it, and James mentions it in his, in his epistle. Peter mentions it in his first letter, and John mentions it in his third epistle of John. And church is mentioned again in the book of Revelation. So the word church is in the New Testament. The New Testament writings are saturated with references to the church. The word church here in Matthew 18 and Matthew 16 that we read this morning, along with the places it's mentioned in the other uh, epistles that we'll look at in the weeks ahead, the word church comes from the underlying Greek word uh, ekklesia. The word ek means out. It means to come out. Klesia means calling or to call. So when you see the word church, it is talking about the underlying thought is a called out assembly. That's what the church is, the called out assembly. There in Matthew 18, when Jesus is given instructions about how to discipline a believer, He is saying that you may have to take that believer to that called out assembly, to that group of believers who are gathered together or assembled in My name. So the word means to call out. It was used in the Greek or Greco-Roman world to refer to citizens who were called out from their homes. They were called to leave their homes and come to a public assembly. Sometimes that was to discuss uh, political issues or governmental issues or to carry out the affairs of the state. But that word means they were called out from something to something. And that is the beauty of the underlying word for our English word, church. So when you see the word church, uh, ecclesia is the Greek word in the New Testament, it refers to those of us who have been called out. We have been called out to assemble together. Actually, that is what we did uh, in just physical this morning. We have been called here. We came here this morning because the Scriptures has called us out of our daily routines, out of our daily life. It has called us away from our places of work and our places of interest, uh, maybe even places of enjoyment. And it has called us to assemble together because we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we did not call Republicans to come today. We have not called Democrats to come today, though I'm sure there is a representation of both. We have not called uh, the rich to come and the poor to come, though I'm sure there's a representation of both. We did not call for the educated or the uneducated, though there's a representation of both. We have called for believers together today in this local assembly, believers in Jesus Christ. There are also people gathered here today who are unbelievers, unbelievers maybe by deception, unbelievers because they have not yet realized their sinfulness and called on Christ for salvation. But specifically, we are here today as the church because we've been called out of our sin to Christ and we are gathered with those of like precious faith. That's the beauty of the Word. That is the church. That is what Scripture is talking about. Sometimes that word church can refer to a home. 
in Romans 16, 5, meeting in a home. Sometimes a home is called a church when believers gather there. In 1 Corinthians 1, 2 and 1 Thessalonians 1, 1, sometimes the church can be a particular city, the church at Corinth or Thessalonica. Sometimes the word church is used in the context of a region, such as mentioned in Acts 9, 31, or as Paul mentioned in 1 Corinthians 16, 19, it can refer to a large area such as Asia itself. When these verses are taken together, whether talking about a home, whether talking about a particular city, a region, or a large area, when you take all of those things into consideration, we see that the church is geographically scattered. It's a geographically scattered body of true believers in Christ. You hear me say often, we are not the only body of believers that are meeting today in Lenore. We're not. There are other saved believers that are meeting in other local assemblies. Before we got here today, believers in other portions of the world, parts of the world, have met in the name of Jesus. The church has met there locally, and they will meet this afternoon. As we are leaving here in a little while, there will be churches out on the West Coast that will come together and begin to worship God in their own areas. So it's showing us in Scripture right from the very beginning that the church is geographically scattered all over God's creation. But we are the body of Christ. We are believers in Jesus Christ who has been saved by His grace, united together by the Spirit of God. And though there are many local churches such as ours, there is really one church, Ephesians 4, 4, Hebrews 12, 23. There is one church made up of believers in Jesus Christ. Now, there are some people who believe that's the only church you need to be a part of, is you need to be a part of just uh, all believers, and the local church has no significance. And there are some who believe the local church is not even biblical. I hope that when we're finished looking through the pages of God's Word, if you happen to lean in that direction, that you will begin to see that there's something mighty powerful and absolutely biblical about meeting together in local assemblies like we are today. Now You may be thinking already, Preacher, what's new about all this? I've known this all of my life. The question is, have you known that from a biblical conviction or have you known that from a traditional upbringing? Traditional upbringing will not get you as far as you need to go in life. Only the Word of God will give us a sure foundation. I want to begin this morning with just a personal word. And I know some people think when you do this, you're not preaching. And I know it's not my normal style to do like this. But I, but I want to remind you, if you go back and read the epistles, uh, Paul wrote several of these. He said, I'm writing this to Philemon, a very, very personal letter to Philemon, my beloved brother. Uh, John, I think, wrote to Gaius. He, he wrote one of the little epistles to uh, the elect lady. We don't even know who she was, but she was an elect lady. And, and uh, these, the writings of the Gospels are, are very personal. Sometimes they were to the entire local church, specifically. And then sometimes Paul would name individuals, very specific individuals that he was writing to or calling out. And so what I'm doing this morning is certainly not infallible. 
and certainly not inspired in the, in the same realm as the, as the Word of God is, but I am speaking to you as, uh, as the congregation of the local church that I pastor about what I believe to be the course we need to be on in regard to belonging to the church, cherishing the church that we belong to, and the biblical reasons for that. And I don't think I could do that this morning without, first of all, thanking the Lord for, first of all, thanking Him for my own salvation, thanking Him for saving me. I cannot remember a time in my life when I have not been in a church gathering such as this. As a matter of fact, until May of 19, a couple years ago when I was sick and out for that extended period of time, those several months, that's the longest period in my whole entire, in my entire life that I've been uh, not able to come and gather with God's people. I am grateful for God saving me, and I am humbled that God would call me to preach. Uh, in studying this, I've been reminded of my personal commitment, not only to Christ, but to His church. And I, I make no apologies today for having spent the bulk of my life associated with the local church. I, I make no apologies for that. There are people who think that you waste your life when you, uh, when you are a part of a local church. I, my life has not been wasted. Thank God for the local church. I'm glad to be a part of it. Uh, I didn't join it. I was born into it and became a part of it, and I'm grateful for it. I love the church, uh, both universally and locally. I love the church. I'm glad to give my life to Christ in His church. Matter of fact, if you're going to give your life to Christ, you give it to Christ, but you do that in His church. That's how you give it biblically to Christ. You do that in and through His church. I've never thought about anything else. I've never thought about life outside of the church. And uh, with all due respect, and I say this humbly because I don't know that many here will take it the wrong way, but I do know there's people who listen, which there's people who listen just to find something to take the wrong way. Uh, that used to only be inside the church. Now we're able to do that thereby in the world. So, uh, but I want to say out of respect, but I say this humbly, with all due respect to parachurch ministries, that's ministries that operate alongside the church, when trouble comes in life, when trouble comes in life, those who will be there for you are not the parachurch ministries. The church is the one that will be there for you. Not the ministries out here that's attached to the church or claim to be like the church to where a lot of people are flocking today for their instruction and their direction and their, and their encouragement, they go to these other things. Uh, well, I don't stand at the back door much. I've never done that a lot in life. I, I do sometimes. But nothing has been more, encur nothing is, is more encouraging to a preacher. Uh, uh, sarcasm note, here comes some. Nothing is more encouraging to the preacher than for you to study 12 or 15 hours to preach a text and then somebody stand in the vestibule and tell you how they enjoyed Charles Stanley, Spurgeon, uh, Charles Stanley's sermon this morning. That really blesses you good. You've given your heart, you've poured your heart out for them, and they tell you for 20 minutes what a blessing the TV preacher was to them. Write them and tell them, or tell, you know, share it with them. Now, I know, what, I know we do that sometimes, just saying, I heard this and it was a blessing. I do the same thing. 
But I want you to understand, God did not design your spiritual nourishment, your spiritual growth and maturity to come through parachurch ministries. He didn't intend it that way. That's not biblical. Those things may add to and encourage and help you. And any of those ministries that are worth their weight in salt, those ministering to you will tell you that. They will tell you that we are not here to replace Christ's church. We are not here to take the place of Christ's church. I've even heard men preach in meetings and conferences and camp meetings and jubilees and those type of meetings and seminars and, and those type of things that the church is failing you so you can come here and get what you need. That is not God's design. Listen to James 5 and verse number 14. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the TV preachers. And let them, no, let, let him call for the elders of the church, the called out assembly, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. There is the pattern. And I can't think of anything more serious than when we become sick. And in this case, the sickness was sickness from the discipline of sin. And he said, when you have needs in your heart, Go to your church. That's where God's provided leadership. That's where God's provided maturity. That's where God has provided those who love you. If you're not getting that, then you need to change. The church needs to change. Or the leadership needs to change. But brother, God designed His church. You say, well, that's not the way things are in this virtual world. Well, that's the way it is in the biblical world. And the Bible was here before the virtual got here, so let's stay with the Word of God. I think it's crucial for us to understand the Lord's church. And I think we've allowed preachers, we've allowed evangelists, we've allowed church leaders, and more than anything, we've allowed tradition to cloud our understanding. When I mention preachers and evangelists, I'm not referring to all by any means, but I am thinking of certain individuals, and i got their picture in my mind right now. I've been a pastor a long time. I've been around long enough to see a few things. I only wished I had seen it a lot earlier. But I want to tell you, I thank God for the church, the local assembly, the body of believers. I've noticed when people make decisions in life, I've noticed this more and more as I've gotten older, the last thing they think about is their local church. Where will I go to college? That's, that's a big decision. Where will I go to work? What kind of job will I have? Do I have a place to live? Is my family going to be close to me? Those are things that people think about when they make decisions. People will work through all of those things. Where do I get my biggest scholarship? Where do I have the greatest opportunities? They think through all of those things, and they make all of those decisions, and rarely think about, their church. Where will they go to church? Usually people make decisions about that and then they go somewhere to some pagan area of life where no, nobody's preaching or teaching and then they call the pastor and want me to get on the phone and try to find a Bible-believing church. That should be the first thing that you do before you make any other decision in life. Is where is my soul going to be fed? Where is my family going to be fed? Where is my life going to be nurtured in Jesus Christ? It's okay to settle for a second or third-rate education, but don't settle for a third-rate spiritual church in which to worship. That's the truth. 
I've shared this with you before, but I'll touch on it briefly. I heard Dr. Adrian Rogers, pastor of Bellevue Baptist, who's in, been in heaven now for, for many, many years. But I heard Pastor Rogers say one night, I was listening to him preach, and he made this, made this statement. He said, it was my week to go on visitation with a large church like that. They rotate with their leadership. And he said, uh, as we're going to visit this home, he said, the man I'm going with said, now, Pastor Rogers, this, this man is a medical doctor. Him and his family has, was mo- has moved here to Memphis. And uh, he said they're from, told what other part of the country they were from, and said they've moved here to Memphis. They've been coming about a month or so, and that's who this family is. Now remember, he's pastor of the church of several thousand. He couldn't know all the visitors, so first time he's met them. They go in, sit down, talk about their salvation, go through this all about them coming and, and, and being a part of Bellevue Baptist Church. And, and Dr. Rogers said, or Pastor Rogers said to this medical doctor, he said, before we leave, we're going to have prayer. He said, is there anything specifically that I can pray with you and your family about? And this medical doctor said to Pastor Rogers, he said, yes, pray that I will find a job, that I will get a job at one of the hospitals or clinics here in Memphis. To which uh, Pastor Rogers responded to him after he knew his credentials. He said, well, I just assumed that your work had moved you here. And he said, uh, that, and then you come to our church. He said, no. He said, my wife and I are just recently saved. And he said, we came here for the truth of the Word of God. He said, I had a good job where I was, but there was no truth where I was. I came here for truth. Dr. Rogers said, or Pastor Rogers said, never have I been more humbled. And never did I sense the responsibility upon me as a pastor and our staff and our church family than to think that a man gave up his job in order to provide spiritual truth for his family. He's got his priorities right. I'd let that doctor operate on me any day, right? A man's got his priorities in line. Church is not about secondary and third issues in life. The family of God, that's why we are here. That's why we are here. To you young people, there are guidance counselors. There are people who've got degrees that can tell you where you need to go to school, what you need to learn, what you need to be. And there are financial people in that educational part who can tell you where you will make the most money. Sitting in your church family this morning are gray-headed people who've been down that road two or three times. Don't ever sit with somebody who don't know God and take their advice and not sit with somebody who does know God. You see, God has equipped His church from this pulpit in the early 80s. Dr. Kenneth Ridings made this statement. Sitting here in this, in this building this morning is some of the greatest untapped resources that's ever been on the face of God's earth. He was talking about the church. And they're here today. Young ladies, when it comes to your dating and marrying, there are, there are women in this church who can give you a wealth of wisdom. The church, the local church, is there to be gifted by God to help you grow and to be nurtured and to be the Christian that you need to be. Listen to Paul's words to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves... Now he's talking about the leaders of the church. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. And then listen how he defined the church, which he hath purchased with his own blood. 
Christ did not shed His blood and die on the cross for your education. Christ did not die for your employment. Christ did not die for our family meetings and gatherings. Christ did not die for a camp meeting. He didn't die for a Bible conference. He didn't die for a jubilee. He didn't die for a homecoming service. He didn't die for a revival meeting. He didn't die for senior trip, youth trips, or southern gospel singing. He died on the cross to save sinners from their sins and to unite them in Him that we may grow up and be what He would have us to be. Now before you text me, some of those things I mentioned may be biblical, and most of them good if administered properly, but I want you to understand, Christ did not die for those things. He died for His people. He died for you and for me, that we might have eternal life. He died for the church. The called out assembly. None of those things I mentioned are referred to in the Bible as His bride. None of those things that I mentioned are the vines. None of those things that I mentioned does He say are His temple or His building. But He does His church. He loves His church. It's not a building, not a ministry. He died for a people who were once His, once not His, but now are His. The Apostle Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 5.25 that Christ gave Himself for her. I see people today, and I, and I want to keep this as personal as I know how, my own life, and I've done it, I've done it and had to repent and quit some of it, I, but I see men today who give themselves for ministries that they themselves have created, and, and that's all, they're, they're consumed with it. Christ gave Himself for her, for the church. Christ gave Himself for the church. That's those of us that have been saved. John 10, 11, He laid down His life. Not for that other stuff. He laid down His life for what? For His sheep. Titus 2, 14, Who gave Himself for us. 1 Timothy 2, 6, He gave Himself a ransom. Galatians 2, 20, Who loved me, Paul said, and gave Himself for me. We are His church because Christ gave Himself for us. For us. So I believe it's crucial that we recapture a biblical view of the church, not a traditional view. In fact, how we view the church is most likely due to how our parents and grandparents viewed it or still view it. Were they right? In some ways, they were absolutely right. Were they wrong? In some ways, they were absolutely wrong. But only the Bible can answer that clearly. And it's important that we know that however we, you and me, Western Orr Baptist Church, especially those of us who are parents and grandparents, however we view the church is what we're going to pass on to our children and to our grandchildren. How I view the church is how the ones coming up under me are going to view the church. And that's serious. And the fact is, most children are not getting a biblical view of the church from their parents They're getting a traditional view at best, and at worst, they're getting a comfortable and preferential view, meaning the parents say, this is how the church, this is what the church means to me, so that's what I want it to mean to my children, and that don't go anywhere but in the tank very quickly. Our view of the church must come from the Word of God, from the lips of our Lord, and the Apostles. 
that God inspired to write who the church is, why we're here, and what it means to be a part of it. As your pastor, God's called me and placed me here to preach and teach biblical truth to you, not tradition. Only then can our membership and our union and our gathering together glorify God. You say, preacher, are you saying that everything we we're doing is wrong? No. What we're doing right now is absolutely biblical. You have gathered on the Lord's Day morning to hear the teaching and preaching of the Word of God, to pray together, to give your offerings, to sing praise unto His name, and to fellowship together. That is as biblical as it gets. Not everything we do is unbiblical, but some things we do are. And before we get started, consider the following. Number one, there are professing Christians some professing Christians who believe church membership is not a big deal. And that comes from easy believism. The important thing is that you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We'll worry about the church later. And then people make that profession, and the evangelist or the pastor gets up and says, you know, we had 49 saved today. We met to clean out the gutters, and I had everybody re repeat after me, and 45 of the 47 men that were here got saved. And then they never... You, you know what I'm talking about. And then people say being a part of the church is not a big deal. Some even believe that it is not biblical. Second, there are professing Christians who believe church membership is essential. They believe that once you are saved, you belong in a local assembly. They believe that. Third, among Christians that I know, some believe it is essential. Very few believe it is not biblical. But most of the people I know fall somewhere in the middle. And that's, that's where I think probably most of our church falls. We, uh, we know it's not essential for salvation, obviously. But then there's folks who say, well, I don't think it's as big a deal as what the preacher and others have made of it all, all the life. And then there's others who think, well, I think we should come, but not regularly. You know, I think that's where most people fall. And what that means is that you have decided to make your own opinions about the church, what's comfortable for you and what you prefer, and that's deadly. Would you do that with salvation? Absolutely not. If you do, that's a good way to wind up in God's wrath for eternity. We can't do it with His church either. Remember, you say, yeah, but preacher, He gave, he gave Himself for me in salvation. That's serious business. Did you hear the five verses I just read a moment ago where He gave Himself for us? He gave Himself for the church. He, he gave Himself. He gave it for our ransom. This is serious business. And I'm preaching primarily this morning for those professing Christians who believe church membership, number one, is biblical and believe it is essential. But deep down, they believe it's not everything they were told it was over their life. And they also believe they've not ever really been told what it really should be in part of their life. But they're at a point now where they want to glorify God. I love the saying Vance Hebner used to say, when he found out somewhere he had messed up or hadn't understood something or done something wrong, he'd say, I'd find myself on my knees beside my bed saying, Lord, I didn't preach that right. Or Lord, I didn't teach that right. Lord, I messed up there. I can't go back and redo it. And Brother Hebner would pray this, Lord, you be Lord of what's left. And that's where I am. I'm not, here stand, I'm not standing here today telling you I've done it right because I haven't. I'm not telling you here that we've always hit the nail on the head because we haven't. What I am here to say is, between here and home, I want Him to be Lord of what's left. And I want Him to be glorified with what we do. 
two things just opening. Time's about gone, but first of all, what the church is not. Just give you a couple bullet points here. What the church is not. If you're a Christian here this morning or listening this morning, some of you are, and you live in Western society, which most of us are this morning. If you don't know where Lenore is, look it up. That's your, we're here. Chances are, chances are, all of us need to change the way we think about our church. And we need to change the way we think about how we're connected to it. Some of you have been a member of this church ever since you got saved. And the only thing you know is you joined it and they baptized you. And that's all you know. As I said earlier, most likely you think about the church from your traditional upbringing, your family, your, how your community defines church, or your own religious preference. This is not the way to think about the church. We must think about it biblically. I've recently been studying a little bit. It's not spiritual. I know you don't think I study anything but spiritual things. Uh, my eggs aren't spiritual. They're just like yours. Uh, but I've been studying about loyalties. Why are people loyal to certain brands and products? And uh, I'll not mention the name of companies, but uh, why, why are they? I, I grew up hating Chrysler and Dodge. I hated them. Grew up hating them. Why? My uncle had a Chrysler, and when he'd crank it in the morning, the, you guys that know Chryslers, you could hear the starter for two miles down the road. You could hear it whining. My dad would say, I wish he had trade. And I say, he said, he's driving that old Chrysler. And I, so I just grew up hating Chrysler. first school bus I had was a Dodge. I started not to drive it, but I had to. Why? Man, just family loyalty, traditional loyalty. I just heard this week a company, a prominent company, if I'd name them, lost $450 million in the second quarter of this year. That, their company lost that much money. And over the past two years... They have only showed one profitable quarter, and that was only $40 million in the last two years. And this last quarter, they lost $450 million, and their stock was up last week. Now, that's either ignorance or loyalty one. Somebody is loyal to something. I mean, if you're investing in a company that's been losing for two straight years, and last quarter, $450 million, then there's a, maybe there's a loyalty there. Loyalty is one thing. Commitment to truth is another. With that in mind, consider what the church is not. Number one, the church is not a club or a voluntary organization. We are not the Boy Scouts or the Rotaries. We're not. When you hear the word membership, that's what triggers in your mind because those are the things you think. I'm a member of this organization. They may be good organizations. The church is not a club or a voluntary organization. Number two, the church is not a service provider where the customer has authority. That's a little ironic that we refer to the church as having church services, but we are not a service provider. It's like people pull up in the parking lot at 10.55. They go in at 11 on Sundays to get spiritually serviced. We are not a spiritual jiffy lube. We are not here this morning to line your front end. We're not here to give you a pump-up for the week. The church is not a service provider. And you can't get a 45-minute spiritual overhaul. But we think about that because that's the way our culture is. Thirdly, the church is not a friendly group of people who share a common interest in religion. 
Most people who have a problem today would rather go sit with a group that's got the same problem and nobody got the answer just so they can feel good about what's not happening than they would to be a part of the church where truth is preached and the answer to their problems is being provided. Number three, the church is not a location. 1 Corinthians 1-2 talks about the church at Corinth. Romans 16-1 talks about the church at Sinchira. 1 Peter 5.13 talks about the church at Babylon. These are churches in those locations, just like we are the church at West Lenore on the corner of Abington and Fairview Drive. But the church is not a location. Wherever this body meets, if we were to meet in the parking lot of Bernhardt today, it would be the church of Jesus Christ. We are not a location. Fourthly, or fifthly, the church is not a source of entertainment. Be glad that my time's gone. We live in a time where we have the greatest ability to hear preachers from all over the world, listen to the greatest musicians, we view the best videos and podcasts, and then we come in here and the preacher wears the same four suits every other Sunday, and he's doing the same old thing he's done for 40 years. I'm bored to death. We are not here to entertain. I want you to know that your pastor, your Sunday school teachers, your musicians, your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you try to hold me up to a guy that's coming across in high, on high-definition television while you're in your recliner drinking your sun drop and eating popcorn, you think, I'm gonna make you, you think I can raise to that standard? I'm not trying to be raised to that standard. Brother, I know families that I used to drive through my community and I'd, I'd look at them and how they lived. I've told you before about the family that had the swimming pool. And I'd go by there and think, why, why is my, my dad won't even, my dad won't even take us on vacation? Why, how do they get a swimming pool and we, and, and we don't? But I want to tell you what. I found out years later, my family was where I was loved, protected, cared for, appreciated, fed, nourished. And I carried their name. Brother, your church family, your local church, this is the people that you love, that care about you, that pray for you. We're not here to entertain. Let's not limit our appreciation for people who give up their time, their families, their careers to serve the church. I thank God for everybody that ever taught me and prayed with me, everybody that ever helped me, that ever caused me to want to be a better Christian, to live for God, to serve the Lord. The church is not the kingdom of God. I've been preaching about the kingdom of God. It certainly represents the entire group of people who are born as citizens of that kingdom. And we live under the rule of Christ's lordship, but the church is not the kingdom of God. What is the church? We're going to go through the scriptures over the next several weeks. We're going to take an aerial view of the book of Acts. And we're going to land in a few, hover over a few texts and just see what the church is. But I want to leave you with this, and I'll pick up here, Lord willing, next Sunday. The local church, and hear, the, hear this clearly, the, the local church is the highest authority on earth. The local church is the highest authority on earth. It was instituted by Jesus Christ, and in that church, Christ has given to believers in Himself, through that church, everything we need to live a Christian life and share the gospel with a lost world. Everything. Everything we need is in Christ, and we have it represented here 
in the local church. Personally, I believe everything Westland North Baptist Church needs for today, tomorrow, and the future is right here now in the local church. And if there's anything else needed that's not here, I believe in the wisdom and sovereignty of God enough to believe He'll put it in here. I believe that because it's His church. The church begins with this fact. Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. And in his sermon on Pentecost, Peter said, Acts 2.36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Ephesians 1.22, Colossians 1.18, He's the head of the church. He is the church's supreme authority. Matthew 28.18, Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. You say, well, preacher, the, the supreme authority on earth is the government. No, the supreme authority in this world is the church. The human government can't, don't have the keys. The human government can't affect a thing in heaven. But I want you to know He's given the church through Christ authority. Christ has authority, and He's given authority to the church on earth. Nobody, if you're sick... Go to the county commission meeting and ask them to pray for you. See what you're going to get. You may have a few believers on the commission that will do that. Brother, the church, you say, well, the, the government is, where did the government get its authority? From Jesus Christ and the Word of God. You remember Pilate looked at Jesus one day and he said when he's trying to get Jesus, and Pilate smarted kind of at Jesus and said, man, you, you don't know I got the power, I got the power, I can, I can have you killed this life. Remember what Jesus said to him? Jesus said, you'd have no power if my Father hadn't given it to you. We're in the church. Let me close with these verses. Philippians 2, 9 and 11. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus ever knees should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Revelation eleven fifteen, And the seventh angel sounded, and there was great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because Thou hast taken to Thee Thy great power and hast reigned. You will never belong to the church who are God's people until you first belong to Christ. When you belong to Christ, you belong to the church. The church universal, Hebrews 12, 23, the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which names are written in heaven, that's the universal church. But the local church is this group of believers who gather in whatever numbers we gather every Lord's day and when we serve God to honor and glorify Him. That's where we're headed. I want to close with the words of Charles Spurgeon about the local church. In one of his sermons, he writes, and I quote, The church is the dearest place on earth. In Paul's there. By place, he's referring to where they met together. He continues, Nothing in the world is, is dearer to God's heart than His church. Therefore, being His, let us also belong to it, that by our prayers, our gifts, our labors, we may support and strengthen it. If those who are Christ refrained even for a generation from numbering themselves with His people, 
there would be no visible church, no ordinances maintained. And, he says, I fear very little preaching of the gospel. End quote. As we close this morning, I want you to think and pray about several truths. First of all, continue to pray about what I mentioned last Sunday, that God be glorified in us. But join me in praying that we would never look at this church as a club, as a service provider, as a place of entertainment, or a specific location. As you pray, remember that we are the called out assembly of God. John 6, 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I'll in no wise cast out. We are here because we were called in salvation to come. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, remember to pray and thank God that when you got saved, you became a member of the body of Christ. And if all of us become a member of the body of Christ when we got saved, then that means we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We all differ, but we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And then ask God what role Western Lord Baptist Church, what role this local church should play in your decision-making process. I'm at the place of decision in, in my, my personal life about some things. And my role as pastor. I shared them first with my wife and my three children. And then I met with the leadership of this church and I shared that with them and asked them to be praying about that. When the time's appropriate, I'll share it with you. I've also shared it with two dear preacher friends of mine that I highly respect and ask them to pray. Because when you make decisions in life, the dearest and people who love you the most are those who are born again with you in the body of Christ. I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to say this morning, but I love you. And if you love me and we love each other, it's not because we think we're lovable. It's because He first loved us. And we share. And I can sit down with any of you in here and we can talk about 25 things and disagree on all 25. And you can get in your Chrysler and drive home. But the last thing I can say to you is, Brother, it was good to be with you. Because it's in Christ that we stand. And remember this, the church, corporately or the local assembly like ours, we rest on the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. 1 Corinthians 3.11 For no other foundation can a man lay and I'm paraphrasing that a little than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ. Good place for us to start in church membership is not with people who don't come. We're not starting there. That's the last thing where we start is with our foundation. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. Lord willing, next Sunday we're going to go through Acts. Lord willing. And join me in prayer for these requests that I ask you to pray about. If you think I'm totally off base, ask the Lord to get me on track. I have been, and He has before. Got me back. If you think we're headed in the right direction, pray God give us the patience, wisdom, humility, and the willingness to repent. And I'm serious when I say all these things I've mentioned that the church is not, 
I've had those thoughts flowing in my veins a few times. I have. And I've wanted them so bad, I was about willing to do anything. When you pastor 25 people for a couple of years, and 11 of them is with ladies, and you ain't, you, ain't hardly got a, you ain't got but one kid in the church, one baby in the church, you, you kind of get where, well, I, got, I need to do something. It's kind of like being in the middle Independence Boulevard. You've got to do something right or wrong, right? You just can't sit there and get killed. But I'm glad God give me patience. He'll build His church. He'll make it what it ought to be. But I want us to glorify Him. And wouldn't it be great when this thing's over and all said and done, if there wasn't a name remembered at West of North, not a name remembered, but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Father, I pray that for Your glory this morning. For that to happen, much pride has to die. Lord, for that to happen, egos and dreams and things that just function in our life normally, like John prayed, those things have to decrease. And you must increase. Now, Father, we have a book. We have an inspired book, a perfect manual that is telling us how to do this. We have the teacher who wrote the man manual and taught all the classes and who moved upon every church that ever existed. We have Him living within us and manifesting Himself among us. And Lord, here this morning we have saved people who have truly been brought out of darkness into light. Our enemy is our own preferences. Our enemy is our traditional views that are unbiblical. These are our enemies. Lord, help us not to destroy the things that are, have been productive. If they need fine-tuning, may we do that. But Lord, may we lay aside every weight. And Lord, draw us near to Your heart. This is Your church. And Lord, again this morning, I resign from owning it. I resign from having any authority over it. The only authority, Lord, You give me as a pastor is to preach the Word. The only authority I have is the authority granted to me in Scripture to fulfill the duty that you have asked me to do. All authority belongs to you. So this morning, Lord, for the, as far as the pastor, as far as me personally, and Lord, I hope the rest of this congregation will at this moment, Lord, I resign from any authoritative hold on this church, anything that I want to see for me, God, I... I humbly lay that down this morning at the cross. And I pray that your name would be honored and glorified. Lord, I know you've already told us we will not be perfect. We haven't been. We will never be. We are not going to be perfect theologians. We're not going to perfectly understand all of your metaphors and your analogies. And Lord, we certainly won't understand the mysteries of what it is to be a church. But Lord, I'm just asking that you help us grasp the basics and then grow thereby. And I pray that as parents we would see, and as grandparents we would see, that how we view our church is how our children and those closest to us are going to view it. Especially work that in the hearts of us men, husbands, and leaders of our homes to view the church biblically and correctly. I want to thank you again this morning for Western North Baptist Church for every biblical message, every biblical Sunday school lesson, every biblical song, every biblical meeting that's ever been held here, every biblical ministry that's ever been an extension of this church, 
Every time a believer, Lord, has reached out in your name to encourage anyone, something as simple as 34 birthday cards sent to Miss Tig the other week, something as magnificent as a school of ministry to train over 300 preachers over the course of a couple decades. Lord, all of it is to your glory and to your honor, and we thank you for it. But help us now to focus from the biblical perspective and see what you want us to be. And Lord, again, when it's all said and done, may we join the chorus in heaven and cry, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive praise and honor and glory. May we think on these things through the remainder of this Lord's Day as we eat together and spend time with our families together or sit alone with our Bibles open or just sit on the porch in prayer. Help us to meditate upon these things. Repent where need be, rejoice where need be, and determine in our heart by your grace to change where need be. We love you, Father. Thank you for letting us be a part of your body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.